stories of how horrible things like happen for a moment. Uh, anyway, I started looking at the list, maybe start thinking about various jobs. And one of the ones on the list that caught my attention was a septic, sewage, not septic, but a sewage maintenance inspector. Not a good job. And it actually had a picture of a person who had this job, and he had on a pressurized suit, and he had the helmet, he had the gloves, and I mean, it was airtight. And it better be. I mean, I thought, you know, it's kind of the opposite of the parachute where, you, you know, you mean to be good friends with the guy who packs the parachute because you want it to open. Well, in this case, you want it to be closed. You don't want anything open. But a dirty job. And then I went on, I started thinking about dangerous jobs. At number eight on the list was a lumberjack. There were a lot to go wrong with that job. Trees falling on you. And then, um, of course, listed also was police department, the fire department. I just want to say a plug here. There was a group of us that met yesterday morning. Uh, and thank you guys for everybody who made cookies, baked cookies. And we sought to go out to different police departments, fire departments, ambulance services, life-saving crews, and so forth. And, you know, being a missionary is not real hard with cookies. <laughs> That's my kind of preaching because people like to get cookies. And uh, so I'm grateful for those who showed up. And, you know, we just had an opportunity with a little sticker that said, from Kingsway Baptist Church, Thank you for your service to the community. And then, you know, hopefully most of us had a chance to say, you know, sacrifice matters. Caring about other people matters. And that's what Jesus did. He saw you and he gave to reach you. And dangerous jobs that come in. As you go back into the Old Testament, had to be number one on the list. Most dangerous job was prophet. Man, if you were going to be a prophet, you better get ready for some possible danger that uh, you could face. Elijah, Jezebel had a contract out on his head. Hire some hitmen to take this guy because she did not like his words. That the Lord gave to him. Remember Jeremiah? He's called the weeping prophet. Why was he weeping? Because they were beating him all the time. Wouldn't you cry too? Somebody was beating you all the time. Or and they put him in a cistern or, or a hole that filled up with water and, and he suffered. What, what a tough job to be a prophet. And you guys remember Daniel. I mean, who wants to be stuck with some hungry lions? That's pretty tough. Or Nehemiah. He was threatened when he was sent back to rebuild the wall. And at one point it said he was building with one hand. The other hand, he had a sword. Because it was dangerous times. And it was a dangerous job. And that's also true for Jonah. We mentioned Jonah last week that you know, the one verse outside of this book of Jonah that speaks for him, uh, of him in 2 Kings 14, 25, that talks about he spoke. And what he spoke came true, which was a clear sign. He was a prophet. He was a man of God. 
that God had seen. But now, his assignment, probably older in years, many years of faithful service to God, was to go to the place he did not want to go. Let's look at the text. As we see, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He didn't particularly like the word which came to him. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up to me. One translation said it this way. Go to Nineveh to preach. They smell to the highest heaven. Jonah, it's time to put on your sewage suit and make sure that it's secure in faith, in trusting me and in going with my words and hearing my voice and being willing to speak my truth. Jonah, it's time to go and clean it up with the words that ultimately matter, my words to this land. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and the Assyrians were known for how cruel they were. They did not respect their enemies. And, you know, really, as I studied and I looked into their cruelty, I don't even really want to go into great detail of stuff that they did. Needless to say, it was just cruel, wicked. And suffering, great suffering to their enemies that would transpire. And these are the kind of people that they were. They were people, they didn't care about you. They loved to watch you suffer and scream in agony and pain if you were not in Assyria. So is it any wonder when God said, I want you to go to them? And Jonah said, What? Are you kidding, God? Maybe it was that uh, Israeli meatball ate last night that might have set out too long. Surely that's not you speaking to me. Why would you want me to go there? Father, they, they need to hear only that they're going to be wiped out and destroyed. And I just want to leave them alone. God says you will judge them because of how cruel and how mean that they are. Nineveh, you know, it's described here as a great city. The very gates as you enter into the city recorded to be 300 feet high. And you include the top of the towers. It, and it was meant to be intimidating. And yet it was through those mighty gates that Jonah would walk as he would come forth to speak. And as he entered into a palace that we know now is beautifully and colorfully painted with warrior gods and Marduk, the god that they worshipped and they believed that the leader, the, the great king of the empire of Assyria, when he took the throne, that Marduk would inhabit him and empower him. Matter of fact, turn with me to the book of Nahum. It's a little bitty book in the Old Testament.
And from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords, glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. This is the word that went out from another prophet from man. And it was more in line with, with how the people felt. But we're looking at the call of Jonah today. I just, as our outline, just a couple of things from this call I want to point out. First, his call was clear. In Jonah, we read about that clear Three verbs that are, are shared in that call. He, he says, arise, Jonah. He says, Jonah, I want you to go. And Jonah, I want you to cry out. These are not suggestions from God. And this is, these are commands directly from God. These are not options. You know, as Americans, we like polls. What does everybody think? What's the percentage of the people who agree with this? And the percentage of people who agree with that? And we're going to vote on it. In this case, only one vote mattered. God. He was the one who counted. And his call to Jonah was clear. There was no doubt about what he was supposed to do. He was called to go to Nineveh. To speak. Secondly. This call from God did not attempt to hide reality. Notice in the text here, he says, their wickedness is coming before me. <laughs> you know, like I said in the translation, their sin stinks to the highest heaven. It is like a sewage. And I know this is going to be difficult for you. But you know what? He didn't come up to him and say, how do you feel about this, John? You get one fuzzy. He, he didn't do that. He also, he also didn't, as he spoke to him, he didn't say, do you agree with this or not? This, this is not a debate. Or he, he also, he didn't ask, do you think the Ninevites deserve mercy? That wasn't in the discussion. Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable with this call, Jonah? Are you afraid? Are you happy about this call that I'm giving you? No. He said, get up, Jonah. Rise. It's time to go. It's the time for talking, discussion, for praying has passed. It's time to go and to proclaim, to cry out my word. And then thirdly, God's call did not guarantee safety. You know, as you look at his call, it doesn't 
doesn't spell out, well, you know, you're going to be safe. The angel of the Lord is going to protect you. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. You don't have to worry about any diversions. I'll be with you, Jonah, in a way where you're not going to be hurt. There's none of those kind of promises for Jonah. No type of assurances for him. You see, sometimes when it comes to the will of God, it's not what we don't understand that's so hard. There's plenty of stuff I don't understand. It's what I do understand. And so, how did Jonah handle this? He knew. He ran. And where did he run? He didn't run to God. He ran away from God. He ran away as far as he could run. As a matter of fact, you know, we think about Elijah. Remember Jezebel put the price on his head, you know, hired him to take Elijah out. Well, that was just one woman he was against. This is a whole nation. For Jonah, surely he knew God knew what was going on. I mean, he, he read the Bible, the old covenant. You know, as the scripture says, where can I go from the Spirit? Where can I flee from the presence? Or I go up to heaven, you're there. If I'm not getting the dash, you're there. God's everywhere. Here, it's not really that he's running from God, but he's running from serving God. It's not that that God will be absent wherever he goes. He just doesn't want to obey God. He wants to put his agenda ahead of God's. So actually what he's saying here is not to run from God, but to run from his obedient service and when he heads to Tarshish, then he wasn't just running away. He was going as far away the other direction as was possible. Matter of fact, one commentator said it would be like this. It'd be like the word of the Lord coming to a Jewish man who lived in New York during World War II and telling him to go to Berlin, Berlin Germany to preach to the Nazis. And instead, this guy goes to San Francisco and boards a ship for Hong Kong. And it's just to go the opposite direction. Now, let's look at some lessons uh, as we wrap this up in watching Jonah run. First, disobedient running is always in the wrong direction. Can you imagine him on the dock and, and he's talking, where, where do you want to go, Jonah? Uh, Egypt, no, 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 that's that's not that's not far enough. Antioch, no, no, that's not far. Carthage, no. Uh, what's the furthest? Oh, 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 okay, yeah, that's that's where I want to go. Tarshish, that is where I want to be. You know, we're not told how he felt, but did he feel guilt for running away? Was he struggling inside? Was there a pull uh, against him? Doesn't really go into detail. Secondly. Disobedient running costs more than we We're disobedient to God. The most miserable people are God's people outside of God's will. Because the Spirit of God touches our heart. Come home. Come back. And I've talked to different people through the years. Yeah. I felt God leading in this direction. And I just 
just never had gone that way. And I thought he was thrilled when he got back. The fact I keep telling you that means that God's still tugging on your heart to get his direction and turn his will. Alexander White, a preacher of old, wrote these words. No booking clerk in Joppa could have told Jonah what it was actually going to cost him to get on board that ship. Running from God is always a costly affair. Remember the old saying, sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. Sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And obviously, Jonah was not able to get any kind of refund for his ticket uh, once he got it. And third, whenever we run from God, Satan is happy to arrange the transportation. You know, it must have seemed easy. Jonah, first hey, I don't need trouble getting this ticket. On this ship, everything seems smooth. I think I'll go take a nap. But what Jonah couldn't see was the massive fish, which most of us see as well, swimming toward the boat, swimming toward the ship, as God was getting ready to move close. The good news is, as we'll see as we continue to go into the account of Jonah, is that although the devil is willing to give you transportation to run away from God, our gracious God is willing to provide transportation to come home. And to me, that's always the beauty of the gospel. I love it as you look through the scriptures that you don't find God just destroying stuff. He could have just wiped out the earth and started a, a planet different than the earth. He transformed Jerusalem. And praise be to God that tells us if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He transforms us. That's the, that's the power and that's the message of the gospel. And that's how deep and great his love is as he pursues us and as he brings us to himself. A couple of commands in the scriptures. Obviously, this is an all of them. Just a few. First Thessalonians 5.21, we're called to hold on to what is good. It's not up for debate. Keep a firm grip on what is good. Keep a firm grip there. Another one, John 12.26, is to follow Christ. When in doubt, follow Jesus. You don't go wrong when you follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. I don't understand this text. Follow Jesus. I don't understand what steps take. Just toward Jesus. Just go that way. As it says in 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Walk as Jesus did. Go his direction. Another one here. Speak the truth. Ephesians 4, 25. Jesus said, I am truth. We're going to be a people of the truth. In Ephesians 4, it tells us that our lives are to be of the truth. It, it, not a suggestion. Not up for today. We're called to be people of the truth. Ephesians 4.24 We're called to put on to wear those things of God to be imitators of the faith in Ephesians 5.1 and 2. 
Revelation 3, 2, to be alert. We need to wake up. Sometimes we're in slumber. And we miss God. We miss Him this. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, give to God. And I love it in the verse because it says, each man should give what he has decided in his own heart to give. God wants us to be in connection with Him. As far as giving goes, the tenth or the tithe, as is illustrated through the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, He says, man, you should give in response to how good God has been to you. That, that is the ultimate call. Um, just a couple more. Colossians 3.16, sing praise. Now, some of you can do that when you're alone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, but still, it's to God. God filters out from his notes. Right? He hears the heart. Here's the heart of praise. One more. Second Timothy 2.15. We're called to study the word. To be good students of the word. To be useful for his kingdom. And to know how to handle that word. As he got onto the ship as he was tired, as he thought it was over, as he laid down to sleep. The truth of what he would discover is it's not over, Jonah. It has just begun. Uh, Jonah, from the commentator in this section of scripture, I'll read as I close. I'm not the master of my destiny, not even my daily life. God is. To obey means to yield my will for his will. My desire for his desire. To engage in activity that is different or unpleasant or strange or dangerous or difficult or simply a drudge. I relinquish control in another's words call the shots. I am no longer my own master. So what has God called me to do? That is the question. How do I know? That's between you and God. That's the work of His Spirit. And the question is, if God has a job for you, a call for you, let's be look at the story of Jonah. Man, I don't want to go through that kind of difficulty to get there. Certainly makes me think I don't want to go swimming. So watch Jonah swim next week. Especially out in the ocean. <laughs> But uh, the point of the matter is, why not submit now to the one who controls it all? Father, we have an altar that is open. You, you speak beyond words that we utter. That's my hope through this message. Father, maybe you are calling someone to this altar to pray pour out their hearts and to say Lord I'm tired of running away I want to run toward you Father I want to say yes to your call upon my life and that may ultimately be the first call which is to see that I am man I am lost I am in deep trouble I have this issue called sin that keeps me separated from God that needs to be resolved. And the only way is through Jesus Christ and his perfect work on an old rugged cross at Calvary. And so, Father, for that one who hears that call this morning, 
What a great time to bow a heart and say, I need a Savior. I need Jesus to forgive me and give me that new start to make me new, to redeem me, to reconcile me to the Holy God. What a great moment. And I pray if anyone is there hearing that call, they would say, Yes, say, Jesus, in my life, forgive me. For those who have already said yes to that call, the altar is open. Lord, speak. That people would listen to the call. Maybe it's a call to follow through with baptism and say, Lord, I need to run toward you and to make that testimony and picture of what has happened in my heart that I have submitted to you. Lord, may people come to fulfill that call. May it be a call to come and to join this particular fellowship, Kingway, Father. Just say yes to that call. Or a call to go forth to serve you outside of this fellowship. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know the specific call. But I do know He calls. And so, Father, we want to give you freedom. And this time, we call response or invitation to call. So, Lord, as we prepare to stand and sing, may you work among us, Lord. May we say yes to the call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.